We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin direct via satellite from our on-the-spot task force. Who are you? Oh, I'm part of the Neighborhood Crime Watch. Where this work says you watch, I commit the crime. Oh, my God. No, no. Uh, no, no. There's no talking. You just give me your watch and wallet now. Here's my problem. You're black. <laughs> Mr. Crane! What? I'm Debbie Crane. I'm a big shot. So am I. If you kill me, the headline is going to be, Black Guy Kills White Big Shot. And that's the last thing we need when we're trying to elect an African-American as president. God. How about if I just blow your brains out right now? That doesn't work for me. Work for you? Can you please? Hey. All right, all right. Huh? All right. Gun, knee, right foot, left foot. Thank God for guns, huh, Jay? You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion, engaged. Until it is September, I think the the young folk are preparing themselves for school. I suspect that the undergraduates are probably already in school. If I remember my um, days at Hampton, it was uh, I think this is like the week. Like I think the second or third week, I pretty much had to had to be on campus. So anyway, people. You know what time it is. As always, this is the Bitweekly Review edition of Afro Nerd featuring Captain Kirk, yours truly, D-Bert, a.k.a. The Afro Nerd, and, of course, the uncanny Daryl B. I saw, I saw him muttering about on Twitter, so we should be expecting him shortly. You know the drill, certainly by now. 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. 
folks, I know some of you might be mouth-watering, chopping at the bit to talk about Cohen and Manafort. I don't really want to do that. <laughs> to me, I'm getting shadows of Watergate. We will address it at some point, but I do want to move forward on and upward. What will be, will be Shangri-La, or whatever. What is that? Kesara, pardon me. Kesara, Sarah. Anyway, people, uh, there's, there's still things to discuss beyond what's happening with Watergate 2.0. I'm going to start calling it that. I want to definitely discuss the 400% increase in black business within the, within the year. I wonder, we've got to talk about Aja Argento, the actress of Italian descent, who lit the stage on fire, literally, while at cons, and she said that she had been sexually assaulted, raped, to be more blunt, right there, years ago, maybe 20 years ago, I think, preceding her appearance by Harvey Weinstein. Looks like she caught a case. <laughs> Looks like she caught a case and was settling a case at the very time she was enunciating those words. The irony is deafening. Anyway, let's go to the urban, urban alternative groove. You know what we do here. We, do, we play uh, Afropunk, which is coming up in a few days, actually. Afropunk, uh, Psychedelic Soul. Black Rock, shout out to Vernon Reed, the mighty Vernon Reed of the Black Rock Coalition of New York. Urban Alternative Groove, Jazz, Acid Jazz, Underground Hip Hop, Classic Grooves. We play everything that is not Nog music. However, I went on a rant yesterday, folks. There's one song that I'm not going to play. I don't even have it loaded, but it might be one of those cases that that where the nogs caught me off guard. It's called Smile, featuring Snoop Dogg and Little Duval, the comedian. I'm not going to play it, but you might want to check it out. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Okay, so let's get to our own special groove. This is Ryan Porter, the psalmist. We'll be right back. Let's groove.
give you a taste of jazz once again. Ryan Porter, the psalmist, the psalmist. And I am the Afro-nerdist. This is the Midweek in Review edition of Afro-nerd, yours truly, of course. The uncanny Daryl B. has arrived. And, of course, Captain Kirk, 646-915-9620, 646-915-9620. Let's just get it in. Captain, you need it once again for whatever. of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man Patriot in white collar crime, he might be a distant relative of the great Mary Bowser. Who was Mary Bowser? I, I, re- I reference Mary Bowser quite a bit because, you know, since I've, I've been on a tear at AfroNerd.com, again, folks, we're up and running, up for business. Uh, AfroNerd.com, I've straightened out a lot of the kinks, so now I'm, I'm fully prepared to, to get that. Well, it's, it's up and running. Let's put it that way. Um, but I've been on, a, been on a tear about this whole need for a black spy thriller, need for a, a super black super agent and or a super agent of color. And Mary Bowser comes to mind because she was a historical union spy, allegedly with an eidetic memory. I suspect she might have been related to this gentleman, the uncanny Daryl B., let me bring him in. This is the Uncanny Daryl B. Sound effects and all. <laughs> uh, let's get one thing straight. Whenever a black superstar dies, we will never, ever have Madonna do the tribute. What the hell was MTV oh, yeah. thinking? But again, <laughs> if you're a black person expecting MTV to do a good tribute, good luck with that. Let's get started. All right, uh, we, we go, I'm going to go all around the, the horn on this one. I mean, you know, I think, okay, let's, get to, let's go to the jugular, and then we're going to go to some light stuff. Believe it or not, this is called the Afternoon Show, folks, uh, the Midweek Review, and we can talk about Asia, pardon me, Asia Argento. We can talk about uh, uh, a Google PhD who wrote a book last year called Everybody Lies, and we can talk about DuckTales. And Venture Brothers. <laughs> Isn't that amazing <laughs> that we can do all of that? And the, our, our, our great, our great um, leader in nerddom and in, in blurdom, Nichelle Nichols, she's one of the honor guard. We're going to talk about her alleged dementia. Alleged dementia. Anyway, so let's go to, let's go to Aja Argento, first of all. Who is Aja Argento? Well, as I said at the top of the show, Aja is an actress of Italian descent. If I remember her correctly, I think she was in one of the Triple X films. 
uh, exotic looking in appearance. Um, again, I'm not going to take anything away from her her abilities and um, what what she brings to the game as far as being a thespian. But I, I have to say, I, I was a little bit aggravated that some of the some of the things that I was leery of with the Me Too movement, the hashtag Me Too movement. And I say leery because obviously I'm going to be supportive of any movement that roots out effery. So if you're going for a job, especially in any era, but especially in the 21st century or in the 20th century, because now some of these, these claims are going back, you know, one decade, two decades plus. You should be you should be respected. There should be there should be no quid pro quo. There should be no monkey business. But there's also got to be a got to be room to scrutinize people and to investigate. And some of this stuff is is so much about vengeance versus character on both sides of the fence. Character for the victim character for the accused that's the way jurisprudence works in the americas and 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 even in the in in uh western civilization it's supposed to work that way so this woman again an actress of note i think it was earlier this year earlier this year last year she's on the stage at at the con film festival cons i should say in France, and you're not really expecting. Although it's all, you know, full, the the Me Too movement is in full swing, so anything could go down. But I don't think anyone was really expecting such a a straightforward, candid accusation proclamation. She's on the stage. Ava DuVernay, the great Ava DuVernay filmmaker, she's there next to Ms. Argento, and. Uh, Aja says bluntly, look, roughly 20 years ago, right here in the same space, I was raped by Harvey Weinstein. And people looked shook. They were not expecting that. And she says, it happened. Some of you folks were aware of it. Some of you folks are, are complicit. I mean, she just laid waste to everybody. So everyone had to recognize, and, and, and she really became face of the Me Too movement. Forget that it was started by a black woman. She became the face. You, she usurped the movement, just like many other women usurped the movement. So people had, to, people had to take notice because it was pretty shocking. Who would, who would lie? Not that she's not lying, but you know, there's a lot of credibility that's given to someone that just comes bold, comes out bold-faced like that. Now you find out that as she was saying that, around the same time, there was a six-figure six settlement that she had to put out there, or rather her boyfriend, if you're going to get into the bones of it, her then-boyfriend, now deceased, Anthony Bourdain, who died rather tragically uh, a few months ago, he the auntie on her behalf paid this 
young man, a young man who she acted with while he was a child actor. So as he's growing up at the point, at the precipice of manhood, at the precipice, he's around 17, just having turned 17, allegedly she put something on him without any kind of forewarning or foreshadowing. She, she you know, uh, sexually uh, assaulted him. And he says in a complaint that his life was never the same. He was on a certain trajectory, and it, it kind of messed him up. Because, you know, again, this, this woman was his mentor as a child actor, and then she flips it into some kind of sexual move. He was 17. She was pushing 40. So, you know, to cut the losses, she put out there, she put a settlement to tuck this away. Irony is, is well, how are you able to kind of throw out those accusations against Weinstein when you really look like you did kind of sort of the same thing? And it's also wrapped up in a movement in the industry. She's a woman with, with a little bit of power, a little bit of notoriety. This young man's on a come up. She was he was he was the mentee. She was the mentor. Um, now, folks from the Me Too movement appear to be scrambling. So let me let me open up the lines. I want you know how I do, folks. I got to give you full information. So, um, well, actually, you know what? Let me let me, let me before I go to Daryl. I think the captain wants to say something. Captain, if you want to speak, then we'll go to Daryl. Well, here's the thing with this. Philosophers will say, and that's where the term actually came from, and there's also something referenced with this, the Bible, they talk about the spike in your eye and things of that nature. When you're pointing the finger at somebody, always remember there's three pointing back at you. I would say when you engage somebody, you open up a stargate, and you might not be ready because Stargates can work two ways. You've seen SG-1 and everything else. When you go through, Stargate opens up. If I engage you, a Stargate opens up. And that can allow you to be taken out. You've also seen this in with Star Wars, with the Emperor and his apprentice. If, he ne- if the Emperor never opened the Stargate to train Darth Vader, Darth Vader could not throw the Emperor down the shaft. You just have to be very careful. So when you're pointing the finger, you have to make sure you're ready if anything comes back your way. <clears throat> now, some people would say also, too, okay, that doesn't change anything with Weinstein. Allegedly, theoretically, potentially, that it went down. Because you could be in that situation and still that went down. But it does make it lose credibility. Definitely so, regardless of the fact. Here's another thing you have to understand. The age of consent is different across America. It's between 16 to 18. Used to many years ago was 14 to 16. They raised it. 16 to 18. What does that mean? In New York, that's 17. In Connecticut, I've been told it's 16. Age of sexual consent. But here's the thing. If for whatever reason you were sleeping with a 16-year-old in Connecticut, that's legal until 
you moved and let's say went to New York. Then it goes right to 18. Now they got you on that statutory situation because you took the 16-year-old to New York to have sex with them. So you have to play it safe. 18 across the board. If you were to really do it, 21 is good everywhere. You go into other countries, also the statutory limits is also different also. So word to the wise. 18 is safe everywhere, though. So right now it's not looking good in a situation like this. It's not looking good. It destroys credibility. It destroys, you know, public opinion in respect to this. Just not looking good. Back over to you, Apple, bud. All right. The Uncanny. Give us your impression, sir. What are, you, what are your thoughts? Or do you have a dog in this race? Uh, I don't have a dog in this race. But you know what? Let's talk irony. It was precisely one year ago. I am standing at my same freaking talking location a couple blocks away from my rock spot where we first talked about this. And I said, the woman's name is Tarana Burke. She started Me Too. Everybody who's talking Rose McGowan, everybody that's talking Aisha Argento, everybody that's talking them, just remember the woman who started the movement was Tarana Burke, okay? And the instant she did this on stage with Ava DuVernay, who there's no bigger supporter of female rights than, than Ava DuVernay in Hollywood, and you caught her off guard by doing it on that stage and that platform, the one thing I said is, girl, you did this now, your house better be clean. You did this now, that glass house better have no stones all around it because you will get crushed. There are black women mad at you for doing this like how you did it. And Lord knows men in Hollywood, uh, the uh, Weinstein followers are mad that you did this. All right? So here it is. Here it is later. This comes out. What she do? Falls back on the white feminist playbook automatically. First, first she gives a tearful written apology where she then brings up Mr. Bourdain, who's dead, who can't tell his side of this anyway, to, to cover her tracks. Then, oh, it was a different age. It was a different time. Girl, listen, you, you got up on that freaking pedestal, on that platform, and did this. Was it appropriate? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But you got up on there, okay? And the one thing, Cap, Cap just reiterated it. I'm reiterating it now. Your house had to be clean. See, see, this would be totally different if when she got up and she talked about it, she went, Lord knows my thing ain't clean because of this. I've made my own missteps. But she came like Moses from on high and said, oh, I was wrong. And every, each and every one of you in this crowd either was complicit or you know this happening to other people. This got to stop. She essentially was wagging her finger at the whole crowd of Hollywood and entertainment executives and stars. You didn't think one of them knew about the situation about? They just waited. They waited. They waited. They waited. And then, boom, gotcha, bitch. So... 
Mr. Sargento, it was fun. It was real. You're done. Back to you, Afro Nerd. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I'll just kind of wrap it up here, you know. And again, I want folks to understand me clearly. This is not like some kind of anti-feminist rap or anti uh, anti victimization rap or what have you. You know, if, if you if male or female, I mean, you, you got to say it that way. Also, male or female, if you were sexually accosted or put in a position that you did not want to be, you did not want to be in, you know, you deserve due diligence. You deserve you know a, a day in court or you deserve to be heard. But at the same time, you know, when this when this um, movement really took swing, there were there were elements of it again coming from social media, uh, coming from the court of public opinion. Well, that that court, which is wholesale different from a, a, an actual court, a a court of litigation. The court the court of a public opinion is exactly what it is. It doesn't allow for discovery. Discovery meaning. I know that our, our resident counselor, um, a big sexy BS out there on the West Coast, he could say more succinctly. But discovery allows for both parties to lay out bare what proof proof they have. And now, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty much done just by an allegation. And there's, there's never a character assessment. And, and what gets me is that many of these folks that are kind of uh, – on the on the bandwagon, they don't want character to, to, to be to play to play a role. You can't besmirch a woman's character. But the issue is is that the the courts must do this. It's a painful situation. You're a victim. I'm being you're being victimized again. That's a, that's a legitimate that's a legitimate complaint. The only problem is is that both parties' character has to be put out there. Who are you? Who are you? Now we see that Aja Argento is just as slimy as Weinstein. So when people spoke about this early on on on, on this show, I think I think you know I, I was hearing it. Some people thought that I was being cold, uh, not really understanding. Uh, you know, I'm just believing what the men say. No, I'm open-minded to say let's. Hear the facts, and let's get in. Let's, let's let's go through the legal the legal system. They didn't really want want to allow for that, and now you see that this stuff is not exactly the way that we think it is. These are human beings. These are complicated relationships. These are complicated interactions. There's a lot of quid pro quo going on. There may be there may be sour grapes, and there there may also be rape and molestation and ugliness all of that has to be considered but we got we have to hear it first can we hear it first can these people's cases be laid out so folks can actually get at them but i don't like the idea of so someone makes a claim someone lobs a ball through anonymously through websites shout out, shout out to chris hartwick chris hartwick returns after it goes through some scrutiny after it goes through some scrutiny, he comes back. People don't like it. And then even some of the folks that were on Talking Dead, his show, they left. But he went through some kind of process, and it turned out not exactly the way we thought it would be. And it's, it's, it's to me, it's just disgusting that we're not even allowed to have 
ha- have evidence. Who are these people? Who's this woman now? This woman settled uh, this case with this young man, and it looks like, hey, look, as a man, under normal circumstances, that's another thing that's hurting, hurting us, but I think that's starting to dissipate. And I'm going I'm to cut it here. As a man, even as a teenager, this is like a fantasy. Under normal circumstances, you would look at this as some kind of fantasy. But now, we're, we're, there's, there is a, a push for parity. There's a push for equilibrium. And you're starting to see that some of these men, as they get to be adults, they start to have sexual problems. Difficulties relating to, 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 relating to women because of um, a sexual liaisons that were probably too early to, to really deal with because of their lack of maturity. Uh, you think of Mary Kay Letourneau, uh, that woman that sincerely damaged the young man. That was like one of the first cases where as a teacher, again, these are women, you know, men and women, but in this case, women in authority took advantage of these kids. And then in that case, she ended up having Letourneau's case. She goes to jail, refuses to stay away from this, this kid. She has two kids by him, ruins her already made family. She already was, a, already was a mother. So this guy, I think, is barely now so much time has passed. He's probably pushing 40, like 35, 36. But his trajectory was ruined. Ruined. He was like a father at 15 of two kids. Anyway, enough of that. I want, I want everyone to be heard. I want, I want you know, the, the, the Catholic Church is going through it right now, and rightfully so. Rightfully so. Hey, don't bring up the Catholic okay. Church. Don't, don't bring up the Catholic Church. They're more concerned with the young black girls wearing braids at school than they are with cleaning up the pedophilia in their own backyard. Except for the Pope. We got to clean this up. But it's his lieutenants under him that ain't doing jack squat. So you know what? Catholic Church ain't a good bring up on this one. Yeah, well, look, I, I had to mention it because it, you, you're talking about um, organizations. This stuff is coming out. You know, there's a lot of truth coming out. So, you know, we haven't had truth in about a year and a half, if you get my drift. So maybe we might be getting back to some kind of equilibrium. Anyway, that's enough. Uh, you know, we'll see how this continues. So I, 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 I find it interesting that people were scrambling, that people were scrambling after Argento. So... It is what it is. All right, let's let's get into some goofiness. And it's funny I mentioned Goofy because he's a Disney I, I, IP. So um, there's Ducktales. Look how I'm flipping. I'm going from <laughs> I'm going from uh, sexual situations to Ducktales. So this is the Ducktales reboot that's on Dis- the Disney Channel, if I remember co- remember correctly. And I recollect the first Ducktales in the '80s. And how it was perceived uh, rather fondly, but it was it was definitely more childlike. Uh, that's the funny thing with these cartoons now. I think the secret is the secret is no longer a secret that adults are fully into animation. So uh, you're, you're seeing more and more, Daryl. I'm, I'm going to pose this to you. It can't be by accident that you're seeing more and more that even some of the reboots that were squarely juvenile, that were they, when they, well, I'm sorry, when the originals were around, like the DuckTales or any other cartoon, 
when they were around, Masters of the Universe, He-Man, all that stuff, they were squarely juvenile, squarely made for kids. Nowadays, when they do, do a reboot, I'm starting to notice that they really are wholesale appealing to not only children, but to adults as well. I'm seeing write-ups on DuckTales from, you know, geek sites that really go, that really go in because these, they're deeper than you could ever imagine. You know, the vocal talent we know from, like, SNL and from all kinds, you know, you got real vocal talent. Uh, the animation has improved. And the themes are young adult now. They're not just, it's not squarely kid stuff now. So anyway, actually, I wanted to speak about DuckTales last week because last week is when it really got, it had really an adult theme with the DuckTales. Well, let me get into what What are the DuckTales or the DuckTales IP? It's the, you know, um, that, not Daffy Duck, Donald Duck, Donald Duck, Uncle Scrooge, that family. But, um, and Uncle Scrooge is famously in the cartoon mythology very wealthy. In this sense, there was a it was a part where uh, the the matriarch of of the ducks, the, the triplets, was perceived to have died, and that Uncle Scrooge didn't do anything to didn't do anything to to assist her, to help her, to look for her on some space mission. So. The, the way that the the way that the animation was and the way that the the emotional content was, I said, wow, this is pretty heavy for a cartoon. So, and they had like an hour and a half special this past week, so they re, they resolved it. But I must confess, I am thoroughly digging Ducktales, and I see other people talking about it as well. So, Daryl, what are your impressions of this reboot compared to the earlier iteration of Ducktales? Well, here, here's the difference. The earlier iteration was mostly one-offs, okay? But this new DuckTales, like Voltron, like, uh, like uh, Troll Hunters, like uh, what was the one uh, for the How to Train Your Dragon, like the, the, they had one overarching arc per season, all right? The whole thing, this whole season, if you've been just, oh, I'm going to be uh, dipping in and out, and you've missed chunks of this story. Because literally, Webby and I want to say Dewey, Webby and Dewey have been all season looking for clues to what happened to Huey, Dewey, and Louie's mom. They know that she didn't come back from a mission with Scrooge. They had an adventure. He came back. She didn't. And it put a wedge between her, him, and Donald that he never told the boys about because he couldn't open up to the boys. He couldn't talk to the boys about it, all right? But he has hated, well, hated, never forgiven Uncle Scrooge for that day. So the boys are left to piece together episode by episode what has happened to their mom. So last week, they found out. Yo, she grabbed this spear and get it off the planet. Daryl? Here. Okay. I'm here. Got no, me. I, we, okay. you dropped, Yeah, you dropped off a little bit. Okay. 
Yes. Uh, well, the plan was they had to destroy his spear, but they found out they couldn't destroy the spear because uh, whatever, whatever. This this is a cartoon, the, the world in peril and stuff. So they decided the only way to get rid of the spear was to get it off the planet. The problem was they had no return plan. So she took it upon herself to take the spear up into space and they had no return trip home. So, of course, if you're a young child and you just told, you're getting told that your mom just went into space and there's no plans or no thing to how to get her back, so possibly you'll never see her again, that's going to leave a mark. And when I say leave a mark, you saw in the beginning of the two-part season finale, yo, the kids, where they had resentment boiling out. But one of the great things about this, the vocal talent. David Tennant as Scrooge. Uh, um, Catherine Tate as, as Magica Dispel. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Lynn manuel Miranda. Uh, <laughs> yo, the, um, oh, Danny Gadget. Pugh. You he's, know, he's, uh... Miranda yeah, is isn't he the yeah guy behind Hamilton? Yes. No, I know. But I'm talking about the, the character he's playing is is the gadget. Uh, yeah, gadget gear. What is he called? It? Right. The guy the the guy who created uh, Gizmo Duck. All right. Yeah, so, Gizmo. That's right, Gizmo. Thank you. So essentially, you're left with the kids wanting to leave. So essentially, here it is. The kids want to leave with, 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 with Donald. They decided we're going to go to this town, uh, uh, Cape Suzette. Now, folks that have been looking at Disney cartoons for a long time know that Cape Suzette is a place for another famous Disney cartoon, Tailspin. And even on the brochure is the, the Tailspin plane. So I geeked out at that. Freaking Launchpad, when, when everything goes wrong, Launchpad decides, I'm going to fly and try to take out the bad guy, a uh, bad girl, as it were, okay? And what did, who does he have a, as his co-pilot? A little Darkwing Duck bobblehead, you know? Donald, true this, you'll, you'll see it in the middle of it. Donald is trying to be... The strong one. He's trying to give a speech, and no one can understand them. So they put a device in Donald Duck's throat so that everybody now can understand them clear. So much so that Uncle Scrooge's Alfred, the, 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 the headmistress, goes, Donald, have you always been saying stuff like this and we, we couldn't understand you? Saying stuff that Whovians like me was like, Whoa, whoa, he is the storm. Like, Donald's going deep here. Holy crap. So, DuckTales, congratulations. This, it was a tour de force, these two, uh, three, four, five, 25 episodes. It, this, was, this was amazing. It, much better than I thought it was going to be. I thought this was going to be, like, ham-fisted and stuff like that. No. There are some emotional punches to the gut. And... And I'm not even going into the number one dime, Magic of Dispel, Webby, Webby's friend. Oh, my God. It tugs at your heartstrings. It is some low, mm, mm, mm. 
Like, kids will love it for, oh, it's cartoony and laughing and there's a bad joke. Adults will be like, I'm in my feelings right now. I'm so in my feelings right now. But, but uh, I need a hug. You know, it, it, that's how it hits you. Because they, they, they use the nostalgia to build. And then they use Disney's history to build even more. And then they go the Steven Universe slash Adventure Time route where you're already uh, geeked out on the nostalgia as an adult. And here comes the heavy-handed moral right there. And you go, oh, oh. So kudos. Kudos to everybody involved with DuckTales. It was great. Back to you, AfroNerd. Yeah, one quick thing, and then we're going to move to the Venture Brothers, then we'll go back series again. Uh, folks, if you haven't guessed it, this is the Midweek in Review edition of the, the Midweek in Review edition of Afternoon featuring Captain Kirk, uh, yours truly, Debert, and of course, Uncanny, the Uncanny Daryl B. Um, you know, it's funny when you mention Miranda in there, Lynn Manuel Miranda uh, from Hamilton fame, that he plays Gizmo Duck. And, uh, you know, the, the, that whole premise there, you know, we always, we, we always go back and forth about diversity. And there was, in, there was intention in having Mr. Miranda involved in this thing because essentially that duck is, in, is indeed of Latin descent. So they injected that in there in, on purpose. And, I, and you know, I, again, folks may think that I have a problem with, with diversity, which is like, you know, that's just crazy being who we are and what Africa represents, but I think things have to be plausible and things don't things where they, they're not really taking you out of the story or even at or if anything, this is a reboot to begin with. So it's not even a continuation. That's that's also another factor in it. I if something is going to be a reimagining or or a reboot, you might want to try something different. But if it's like a continuation of canon, then that's where, that's where I think even Daryl would agree, because we, we talk about this quite a bit. Um, that's where I, I'm a little bit more of a stickler for kind of sticking with the classics. But in this case, just like BSG, I, what am I going to say about Battlestar Galactica when it was squarely a reimagining? So uh, I, li- I dig it that when you were first introduced to the Gizmo Duck character, that uh, the, the character and even his mom – they were speaking in Spanish or Spanglish. I thought that was really, really up to date. I really appreciated that. Um, and also, uh, Mrs. Mrs. Beakley, as as Daryl noted, who was is essentially, uh, I guess, the Alfred Pennyworth, uh, the uh, Alfred Alfred Pennyworth to Scrooge McDuck. Uh, she's played by a woman of color of Nigerian descent, actually. Tokes. I can pronounce the name correctly, Tokes Ola Gondoye. Ah, Tokes Ola Gundoye. I'm probably screwing it up. Tokes Ola Gundoye. Mrs. Beakley is black, so I think that's kind of cool. But you wouldn't know it because she has that terrific um, British accent. All right, so let's move things forward. After so long, Daryl. Uh, well, I, I didn't even ask Captain. Captain doesn't look at Ducktales. He's a grown man. <laughs> But I think he, I think he might dig it to tell you the truth, because it, it is kind of a man. I was, I was, I'm, I'm kind of hooked on this thing. Daryl knows what I'm talking about. It's pretty. The way those kids are getting at Scrooge McDuck and the feeling, like, man, is this, a, is this a kid show? Anyway, uh, 
Venture Brothers, Season 7. Finally, we got here. Um, let's talk about what? How long has, how long has Venture Brothers been around, Daryl? Uh, quite some time, right? More than a decade, at least. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to say 2005. Years? 2005, 2004? It's, it's, been, it's been a minute. Yeah, and I guess because of, well, you know, I can't explain why it takes so long. I mean, maybe it takes so long because um, they want to make sure that it's actually good. Because a- after this season, like this season, the layer, the layering. Well, let, let's let's get into this thing. If, if, I spoke about Venture Brothers before on the show. A little bit of feedback. I'll bring it back. So, again, we spoke about the Venture Brothers. The Venture Brothers is definitely a parody of of Johnny Quest. It's a direct parody of Johnny Quest, the Johnny Quest cartoons from the 60s. You know, this, this, this boy, boy adventurer who has a, a, a father as a scientist. Um, I think it even goes beyond, I think it was even based on Terry and the Pirates which is like maybe three or four decades before that as a, as a comic strip. So this whole idea of a boy adventurer, um, but this is done as a parody. So that, that boy adventurer grows up <laughs> and, and, and is, is rusty adventure. And what you will see in the Venture Brothers is a lot of archetypes meant to poke fun at some of the stuff that we talk about here on the show. There's a, Doctor Strange archetype. There is a Blade archetype. Um, I mean, just everything under the sun. You can see who who they're poking fun at, and it's very adult. I mean, again, it's Adult Swim. Takes damn near two years for one season to come about. So actually, I was looking to see when it started. I thought it was 2003, but you know, it's it's been around. For quite some time for it to be just season seven, but this time around, um, it's not really losing a step. I mean, it's it's they keep on going deeper and deeper into canon, into into its own canon. So I'm gonna bring back Daryl because I, I had to pipe down his uh, his mic because of of, of noise. So Daryl, I'm gonna let you uh, take over. So what are your impressions of what's going on thus far for season seven? And just the fact that, you know, uh, we're seeing more of what the Venture Brothers are really about. And the listen. father makes a return. The grandfather makes a return. Let's put it that way. Hey, li- listen. They could take as much time as they, as they can to have the continuity this tightly packed where I'm seeing stuff being referenced from season one and season three and, and, and stuff – that, that I forgot the mystery to. It's been so long and stuff. And to see it all come together like this, yo, Venture Brothers, do what you're doing. Don't let, don't, if anybody's hating on it, say, oh, they took too long. I lost interest. Good, you lost interest. Get the hell out. <laughs> hey, hey, don't, don't ask to come back into the party later, you know, because this has been fun. The whole, the whole uh, Guild of Calamitous cont- uh, Intense and and that whole melodrama, the blue morpho and the the circulous nature that took, you know, even 
everything that uh, led to uh, Brock joining the OSI, you're finding all of these secrets out in the three episodes of this season, and it changes how you look at everything that came before. This, you know what? Whoever is their continuity expert or who does their research, they're earning their cash. Matter of fact, give that sucker a raise because, like, the whole – we've heard about the incident that happened in Gargantua 1. We've heard about that since the, 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 the show started. And now you're getting light of it, and it may be Jonas Venture's fault. Wow. Holy wow. You know, just I I stared at the second and third episodes where all these secrets start coming out and I'm like, how does episode four top this? They may need to take a step back and have a clown episode for four just to have everybody's heart rate catch up. Because yo, how doesn't Brock go crazy and just kill the venture family right now? You know, after he, after he heard the secrets that he heard from the guild, and and now that he knows that part most of that is true, from everything that's happened, from what he experienced, yo yo, like this this, it's hard to say the seventh season of anything is a a turner for a series, but this may change the way you look at the whole entire series. And it's the first cartoon that I can ever say that about. I mean, with TV series, right, there's been a couple that you've seen, like, the third season happen, and it changes how you look at how the first two seasons was and, and how it goes on in the future. The one that comes to mind is the 4400. The middle of the second season changed how you looked at the whole season. Like, wait, wait. What the hell happened? What what just went on here? You mean there? Wait, wait, what, what? No, no, this can't be possible. That's what this did. The second and third episodes of Venture Brothers this season, wow, just wow. Back to you, Afro-Nerd. Yeah, how would one see all of the episodes of the Venture Brothers without buying the – I mean, obviously, you, you could buy the, 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 the DVDs. I think I actually have a few – you know a few sets of the Venture Brothers on DVD, but uh, I think AdultSwim.com. If I remember at one time, you could actually access previous episodes on their website. Do you know if that's still going on like that? Yeah, Adult Swim. You can catch. You can catch. I think up until the end of this week, you could catch episode one. You could definitely catch episode two and three. All three are up right now on AdultSwim.com, their video thing. You just have to have a viable uh, um, uh, TV provider or have a friend that has a viable TV provider that you can borrow their password from, but you didn't hear that from me. And you know something else, too, and you hinted at this, um, because people, I'm kind of hearing some chatter on the Internet, because people are, are pretty pleased with this season. I mean, these seasons don't disappoint. And again, I think it's because Adult Swim is giving them enough latitude to flesh this stuff out that, it, that the interest is still high. And again, uh, you know, we're talking about 15, 14, 15 years in the game. It actually, the, the pilot episode was February 2003, and the first season began in 2004. 
So we're literally talking about a 14 to 15-year-old series, and we're just getting to season seven. But um, because the, 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 movie, um, the movie, because the series references, again, I got to remind the audience that this is a parody of Johnny Quest, who was a child, a, a child um, adventurer. But in this case, and actually, Johnny Quest is a character in this series. Cause we've, we've seen him intermittently. Uh, and, and, and Zen. Zen was in there this, uh, this, that, this last episode. Zen, the arch nemesis, who's kind of this cool, this kind of cool, cool uh, uh, villain of Asian descent, who was more maniacal back in the days, and now he's kind of married and, and like, a, a, like a married guy. You know, that, that whole thing. He's cool. Johnny Quest is like a 40-year-old drug addict. I mean, that part is okay. just wacky as all. Go ahead. Well, well, I'll just say it like this. You keep on saying it's a parody, it's a parody, it's a parody. I think it's grown out of the parodies thing now. It, it's an homage now. It's, it, it is its own identity now. It's madcap, it's crazy, and it's some of the most intelligent writing on TV today. And, it's, and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Killer robots, dumb professors, uh, questionable sexual choices, uh, very questionable government decisions. And we won't even get into the boys' decisions because, man, they should be dead. But you know what? It, I think it's outgrown Johnny Quest. I think it's outgrown stuff like the, the, the pulp comics and stuff. It uses it as uh, inspiration, but it's no longer a direct parody. Venture Brothers is its own animal now. Well, yeah. Well, look, just just to, so people understand, you have I haven't I haven't seen them in a while, but you have a straight up Fantastic Four uh, analog or archetypes analog. You have a fanta- You actually have a Fantastic Four and Baxter Building analog. That's going back uh, quite a few seasons. Um. You, you, you clearly see kind of a Batman slash Green Hornet, probably closer to Green Hornet, a Green Hornet analog, Blue Morpho. So there's so much stuff now. But one, and then we're gonna we're gonna go to a musical break. I just want to mention this one thing, but because I don't want to, we may be speaking somewhat insider. But um, what you ta- spoke about, Daryl, is because this was because this is these are um, this this. The storyline is based on a child adventurer, now a middle-aged man, with his own kids. That they're constantly going back and forth, back and forth about those days. So I, someone sent, an, sent a tweet to the guys behind the Venture Brothers. I think uh, Jackson Public, Doc Hammer, those guys. Saying, like, why don't you, you really could have a separate cartoon that's squarely about those times when they were, when he was a child, a child adventurer. And he kind of said, hmm. So I'm wondering if that's going to happen. Because it makes sense. They, they constantly talk about, like, the, the father was, like, this real smooth guy. The father was also an a-hole who, who, who betted everybody. Is that the hint also there? I'm just picking it up now that... Um, What's the guy's name? Mar- the Monarch is probably uh, a Rusty Ventures half-brother. Is that yeah. what's going on there? Mm-hmm. 
and and you'll find out more when you find out the the blue the blue morpho's origin through this too, and how yeah that twisted absolutely positively twisted. And they and they actually state I'll just say this one thing too because I'm it's, I geek out off of this show, um the 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 character that is squarely squarely Doctor Strange, right? Uh, he references Doctor Strange straight up. Did you catch that? When he, oh, he's yeah. talking about moving to Manhattan, moving to Manhattan, and he says, "Hey, we can get a sanctum like Doctor Strange." Yeah. I thought that was pretty pretty cool. And and also there 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 was, I, I think that character has since died. I think I think uh, a shape shifting David Bowie, and he was the I mean, yeah. it was a voice actor, but he was he was David Bowie. Yeah, that was the sovereign. All right. Folks, you got to check out the Venture Brothers. Go to adultswim.com and uh how many episodes are there per season? Maybe maybe 10. I think sometimes less. Sometimes what I less. Ultimately, I think uh, between, anywhere, between 8 8 to 13. Yeah, between 8 to 13 and they're in season 7 now. And uh, the third episode just passed. Fourth episode will be this Sunday. All right. Okay, enough of that. That might have been so insider. Just check out the damn Adult Swim TV series. Anyway, when we get, when we get back, um, let's talk about this, uh, this increase in black, in, in black business. 400% uptick in black business ownership. We'll spend a few minutes on that, and then we'll, we'll move forward. Jeffrey Wright has a Netflix, a hot Netflix movie coming, Hold the Dark. Hold the Dark. Anyway, this is Prince, the sex of it. We'll be right back. Let's groove. I 
told you not to open that window. Again, the sex of it, Prince. Now, what's interesting about that jam is that he never formally released it. It was actually released by a, a band that I actually respect, a local band, uh, Kid Creole and the Coconuts, August Darnell, who is a graduate of Hofstra University, the great August Darnell. Um, he covered that song. Initially, and it sounded very similar because uh, what was the name? Of, what was the original name of Kid Creole and the Coconuts? Shay Shay La Femme. That was what was it? I can't think of it. it was, uh, Tony, Tommy Matola. It'll come to me. But Kid Creole and the Coconuts, as far as like urban alternative groove and doing something different, they had this zoot suit zoot suit appeal back in the uh, mid seventies. And they carried it over into up until like the late 80s. But yeah, uh, phenomenal band within their own right, Kid Creole and the Coconuts. I got I to gotta find the original name, but they did, they did jams like Shea Shea La Femme. Um, anyway, let's get into it, folks. This is the Midweek in Review edition of Afternoon featuring Captain Kirk. The lines are open. Feel free to buzz in with your questions, queries, protestations, disagreements, all that jazz. 646 646- 915-9620, 646-915-9620. All right, so um, before the break, I was mentioning, I thought that we should do some stuff that's, that's definitely on an enterprise reported, and I've, and I've been hearing this for a minute anyway, that within the last year, there has been an uptick. I mean, this is, I mean, these numbers are pretty incredible. Within... The, within this past year, within the last 12 months, black business ownership has jumped up upwards of 400%. So 
I don't know if anyone's squarely saying it's because of this administration, but this is a lot. This is what we've been talking about on the show that that people feel like they're losing their sense of self, that they're losing their autonomy, and uh, there's there's you're seeing these these you know if you're going to talk about upticks, the uptick of these false 911 calls. You know you have res- what seemingly respectable black folks kind of doing their own thing, uh, and because oftentimes oftentimes there might be a white person. Uh, kind of in their pure purview, and for 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 no apparent reason, the cops are being called. So if you're living in under those circumstances, if you're living that way, although I think this this help is on the way, so help is on the way. But even regarding that issue, I think there's someone, a, a congressman, that's putting out a bill that's going to be that that's going to allow for heavy penalties, heavy penalties there's a kind of it's kind of it's considered like a hate crime more or less that if you call the cops on a person of color and it t- turns out this was a false alarm charges can be can be levied your way so there's a bill right now in new york specifically so someone is someone is addressing that effort but if that's the, if, if you're if we're living under these under these circumstances that might be the reason why you're seeing this uptick in black business so let me go to the captain while i look for this article for more specificity what 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 is your reasoning behind which which is really positive news? I didn't hear this kind of movement when President Barack Obama was in office, which is what I would have expected. This is something different. What's going on here, Captain? Now this diatribe is going to be powered by Professor Griff from Public Enemy, and it's also going to be powered by Q Storm, Professor Griff. Is a lot more energetic than Q Storm Because he has more observers on him So there's more energy going into Professor Griff Professor Griff says Underneath Obama People go to sleep They don't do what they're supposed to do Right Also there's someone called The Captain That said about four years ago The reason why you don't have Someone like Malcolm right now Is because of the environment now, if you look at Darwinism, if you believe this, Darwinism, natural theory of selection, when they state things such as if this happens in the environment and the environment changes, those that favor that type of environment will survive and the other people will not survive. <clears throat> Meaning which the environment, if you believe Darwinism, creates certain individuals. <clears throat> We don't need a Malcolm right now because some would say it's not that bad. It's not as bad as it was then. So the environment has not created it. Now, some people will also say black people have been very well trained over the years, and it's just maybe about time they're doing their own thing. So you've got to put that in the mix too. But we've seen our very own Q-Storm get very good yeah, got videos out with him handling guns. Why did he get real good? He talks about it. It wasn't for the nogs that we talk about, because if you're late making a total, a non-emotional decision, statistically it says more than likely a black person is going to have beef with a black person. More than likely a white person is going to have beef with a white person. Latin people, same thing, Asian people. 
That's where it's going to come from statistically. But we don't do our decisions from a logic base. We do it totally from a limbic system emotional base. When that limbic system fires, you get working. At times good and at times bad. That's what it is. So you have to look at those two things. You have to look at what Griff said. You also have to look what happened when the Trumpster, Mr. Donald Trump, got into the White House. Something I said before that individuals have said. When black people, because they're survivors, you put your feet on their neck, they get moving. You understand? When you have somebody, somebody who's more liberal in a situation, you go to sleep. It's not only me that says that. There's other people that say that. I just said what Griff said. So you have to look at the environment, allegedly, theoretically, potentially, and inductively, because it might not be that. It might just be that it's time for black people, because, again, they're well-trained. Now, if me, I think it's all of the above. I think it's the fact that you have Mr. Trump in the White House, which triggers the limbic system. You get moving for the good and sometimes the bad. And also, it's time also. You know, it's time. So the combination of those things. Some of you would go ahead and get your own business anyway. It's that time, it's that time for you in your life. You know, whether it would have been Hillary in there or Donald Trump, you would have did that anyway. But I think Donald Trump acts as a catalyst, absolutely, for what I know about black people. You get going in these type of scenarios. It makes a difference, and that's something we've been saying since day one. You put your foot on these individuals, and the foot always been on you, you know? It's always been on you. It's nothing new. Powers that be do not like you in this country. That's nothing new. That's nothing new. You know, since you've been in this country... White people have not been uh, comfortable with you. That's nothing new. But sometimes you get highs and lows. It's like an AC current wave. You know, you get highs, you get lows where you go to sleep from time to time for various reasons. Give you programs, give you this, give you, oh, we're doing well. You know? Tighten it up, all of a sudden you get moving. You see? So, again, this is powered by grip and also by Q-Storm. We saw what Q-Storm did right here on the show when Donald Trump got elected. I'm going to the range. He's pretty good with guns now. If you look at the videos, <laughs> Donald Trump caused that. I don't care what Q-Storm said. <laughs> Back over to you, Afro Nerd. <laughs> All right. Um, I have a, a few things to say, but I want to hear from Daryl. Daryl, what are your impressions with the the reasoning. What do you th- what do you think is going on with a four hundred percent increase in black owned businesses in a year? What's going on? Well, it's easy to me. You know, this is where this is where the the, the white folks have freaking you know outsmarted themselves. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna keep these darkies from shopping in our things. Yeah. Oh oh. He's or that black kid's got lemonade. I'm gonna call on him. Oh, oh, he's he's going door to door. I'm gonna call on him. Fine, okay. Well, now that you've made us feel unwanted, we're gonna do for ourselves now. 
All right? Now, here's the trick. Our brothers and sisters are now doing this with these establishments and these things. Go and support them. Simple. Go and support them. All right? I've, I've, I've heard whining about, oh, wait, why we have to pay so much? Why, wait, I thought we were brothers and sisters. Listen, they're doing a business now, too. All right? If they're doing the business and you want black businesses to stay viable, there's no freebie. That, that's on the owner to, to give you a freebie or anything like that. But how do you expect them to stay in business by giving you freebies? All right? One of the best I heard, one of the best I heard has to do with Afropunk. And I'm bringing this up. There was a guy who got on and complaining about Afropunk ticket prices. And I'm like, I remember when it was free. Okay, yeah, you remember four years ago. Because I remember the last three years I've had to pay to get in. Oh, but, but it, it's supposed to be free. Uh-huh, and you, all these acts are supposed to perform for you for free. And, like, you're not buying any of their merchandise. And, and you're not supporting any of the black businesses that are there. Oh, but it, it, it's like... to get in. You are seeing 10 to 30 bands in a day. And that's 60 bands over the course of two days. If you're paying the the full way, that's not a deal to you. Ow. Now, but it's supposed to be, you realize in the spring, the tickets were only like $50, $60, right? If you were so high and thing about getting it, you could have gotten the tickets back then and saved you $25, right? This is the type of arguments you are going to get from people who expect, hey, it's a brother or a sister establishment. They'll help us out. Let me see. Let me go in. Let me get a whole thing of ribs for like a dollar. Let me, let, oh, oh, that's a new great outfit. Let me put it on layaway. Sorry. That's not how that business stays economically solvent, all right? You keep on asking for black business, people to step up, create black businesses, and, and, and do something. Get up and put in that work. All right, here's brothers and sisters putting in that work. Your best support them. Back to you, Africa. And on that note, there's another business. It's called Africa Inc. Uh, simply go to patreon.com forward slash Afronerd Radio. Again, patreon.com forward slash Afronerd Radio. And Daryl is being very, um, very on target about what is going on. There's this, I, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but he's, again, he said, look, you know, you have our own folk that will talk incessantly about the need, why don't we have such and such, or we need to do this, that, and the other. And when these things are created, then you don't patronize, then you, you start complaining and what have you. Uh, or the, the measuring stick is different. If you went to someone else's business and they treated you poorly, you might not go to that business. You might stop going. You might. Even that's speculative. speculative. You, might not, you might stop going to that particular business because of poor service. But you will not um, establishments with uh, white, you know, white ethnicities or wh- whatever. You're not going to stop going to 
to a white establishment because of another white establishment um, because of some failings on their part. But how many times have we we heard, I'm not going to do business business with black people because you had one experience with a black business owner that wasn't pleasant? So that kind of thing has to stop. That's like some kind of self-defeatist, different rules apply, internalized racism, low self-esteem, whatever. That's got to stop. Um, even with, again, going back to what Afrona Radio is about, when we compare ourselves to the colliders and the screen junkies, all these other folks that have garnered hundreds of thousands, if not, if not a million or more in subscribers, there has to be a black version of that. Because we are at a point now where when we first started this thing, you know, we were, it was harder, to, harder and we, you know, we, we had to be honest, it was a little bit harder to pull out some black product, even though even then, even then it existed though. But now we're actually got a deluge of black product, product, a product coming from the majors and products that certainly coming from independent spaces. But we need the assistance. You know, we're, we're doing these videos. We're going to continue doing videos. We're going to continue looking at these movies. We're going to continue re- reviewing. I, uh, of all people, I started, I started writing again, and, and I actually like writing. Um, so I put, up, I put up twice now. I put up a part two, because I have Ajita and I have OCD. I put a part two on this whole Idris Elba as James Bond deal. And the second time around, I got some feedback where people, I think people are getting it because it kind of has a kind of business spin on it that stop being so caught up in wanting to be a black Bond. You know, you could be a black Bond without being literally James Bond. Tuvok is a black Spock. He's a black Vulcan, but he stands on his own with his own mythology. Michael Burnham is essentially a black Spock. She's human, but enculturated Vulcan. That's very interesting. That, that opens up a door for a whole set of rules, a whole set of idiosyncrasies. And once I started, once I started flowing and thinking about it more fully, uh, when I mentioned, I don't, think you, I don't think you heard this. Maybe you did hear it, um, Daryl. I, I was thinking about this, uh, the encyclopedia that I, I bought as a kid called the Encyclopedia of Batman. And it had full length entries and, and historical data on the, on the, the creation of the Bat, I'm sorry, of the Batcave. Like, you know, just the, the development of, of it, the schematics over the years, like all this detail. The, the Batcave is, is its own character. Batarangs are their own character. The Batmobile is its own character. Walter PPK is its own character. The Aston, Aston Martin is its own character. So if you were going to do a black Bond archetype, looking at it from a business perspective, I wouldn't want Idris to inherit a dry martini. You know, I started actually doing, doing some research. I even researched this is I must have OCD. I was researching um, speakeasy Harlem drinks. Some of these drinks are fly as F that I'm going to have to explore. They have these, they have wacky names. Let me pull this up so the people so so folks understand what that that the Afro is not joking around. So 
if you go, I put the link to my second piece on on a black bond, right? And there's a, there's a hypertext link for Harlem Renaissance drinks. So we know that in bond lore, I'm going off on a tangent, but it's still black business. <laughs> uh, we know that the whole dry martini, shaken shake not stirred, is Sean Connery, Roger Moore, that's his thing, right? When you go to, the, to, to drinks of the Harlem Renaissance, let's say a black bond has his own thing. They have, they have drinks like beauty sleep, a drink called a beauty sleep, bourbon, aromatized wine. Uh, you got uh, Dr. Brown's Constellation. These are Harlem Renaissance drinks. A Brunswick. Give me a Brunswick, which is cognac, dry vermouth. Give me, a, give me the Wall Street Journalist, bourbon, dry vermouth, Montenegro. You, oh, here's one. You look great when I'm high. From the Harlem Renaissance, speakeasy style. You look great when I get when I'm high. Uh, tequila, wine. So, I would want to see a brother step to a young, step to a bartender and say, "Give me a Brunswick, give me a St. Louis Park, give me a Brown Bomber." These are the things that that becomes its own thing. But you want a brother to say, uh, "Give me a give me a martini, shake and not stir." Get out of here. Come on, come on, black man. You can you can get autonomy. You can get your autonomy. There's another hypertext link. I think we may have to do um, a video there, gentlemen. Harlem hops. Harlem hops. Harlem hops is a new business that opened up BCU graduates out of frustration because they they didn't really have a watering spot. They had their they had their own cultural cultural need to express themselves. And this spot looks kind of hot, and I want to I want to patronize it, and it's not that far. I think it's walking distance from where we where we go to the Schomburg, which is also walking distance from uh, where they film Pop's Barbershop, the haunting ground of Luke Cage. So we we have some work to do in the next couple of months as far as some video stuff. But uh, Harlem Hops is a spot, and it just it just so happens that one of the owners is a Hamptonian. So shout out to Black Ronan. Uh, I'm pretty sure he, he, he can dig that. All right, let me, let me bring in, um, I see our friend from Chi-Town, uh, Sergio Mims, wants to chime in. Um, there's a lot more to discuss, too. I think, you know, we can also have him, come, have him talk about this colorism deal. Let, let gonna, you know, this is going to get, you know, you didn't, you didn't, one of those emotions. You didn't emotion- speak on why, though. You didn't speak on why yet, Afternoon. What, on the colorism thing? No, not the colorism. Why is it up 400%? You didn't speak on it. Oh, okay. All right. I'm jumping around. Well, look, I've said it before, just to kind of reiterate what you two gentlemen have said. I think, it ha- I, I think, it's, it's, I think the quick reaction is you, you look like you're in under some kind of oppressive situation. It's looking, it's looking a little like it did, you know, when they say make America great again. Uh, it's looking a little bit like that, but it wasn't great for you. <laughs> it wasn't great for you. Uh, Mer- Mario Cuomo um, spoke a little, took a little truth serum. I don't know what happened there, but he he said that America was never that great. So, I mean, um, 
not Mario Cuomo, pardon me, that's the, that's the father. Uh, what's the, the wow. Andrew, um, Andrew Cuomo, pardon me. I'm going back time. Andrew Cuomo, pardon me, the son. He said America was never that great. He might, he might have had uh, an Italian blackout. <laughs> Jennifer Esposito. See, I'm, I'm thinking that my head, is, my, my head is spinning. Depending who you are in this country has a lot to do with how you feel about this, about this country, obviously. So if you are a wasp, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, for all intents and purposes, this country has always been in your favor. Andrew Cuomo had a moment where he said, never been that great. So that pressure, that discomfort, this oppressive kind of regime that may or may not be falling apart, indictments uh, have gone on, and of course we have some actual um, verdicts. Some deals are being cut. That oppressive feeling, that discomfort is making people say, hey, I got to figure out a way out of this mess. And autonomy is your best bet. Autonomy, being able to have your own say, your own freedom of movement, uh, having control over your income, because the expense of living, especially in a major city, is crazy. New York is expensive. Chicago is expensive. L.A., California is expensive. And people are figuring out a way uh, to, to, to deal. I mean, we see... We love these TV shows, but we also see a great deal of opulence and comfort with these TV shows. How are you going to get figure out a way? Figure out a way. Uh, and I also think this. I think it's cultural expression. It's, I'm using Harlem Hops. Harlem Hops as, a, as an example. These three folks in the write-up it was at the New York, uh, the New Yorker magazine. By the way, I think I put the link in the chat room. The New Yorker magazine, one of the first things I recognized that they said was, well, they, were, they just had difficulty finding a place that they could kind of – a local spot that they would envision that, that they could go to to have kind of exotic beers, to have uh, tater tots, flat screen TVs. You know, there's, there's a certain cultural component that this, that's missing. The reason why I, we developed Afronet Radio here, myself, Captain, and of course the Uncanny, is that we want to express ourselves in a certain way. You know, I can't go to the Breakfast Club to express this, you know, to talk about the Venture Brothers and Malcolm X in the same breath. <laughs> you know, where are you going to go for that? We might talk about uh, data, data and, and, um, and augmented, augmented learning. And, we'll talk about, and we might throw in Snoop Dogg and Little Duval in the same conversation. Where is that going to happen? How are we going to talk about the Black Panther comic book alongside the Fantastic Four or the latest Netflix Netflix or some scientific discovery. That's what an Afro nerd is. So I, I felt like I can't go to Collider or Screen Junkies to get exactly what I need. So I have to create it. I have to make it because it's, it's uncomfortable not being able to express yourself the way you want to express yourself. And no one else is going to do it for you. I can't go to Chris Hartwick, the nerdist, as a nerdist to ask for an Afro-nerdist perspective. It's never going to happen. So that, that, that's it. That pressure and also, I think, a little bit of the need to express yourself and to have autonomy. I think that's – but I think the oppression is putting some fire on your behind. 
400% in a year. 400% in a year. That's pretty, that's incredible. All right. Um, let's go to Serge. And, um, you know, we got some ideas about about. Serge, Chi-Town, what's up, Serge? Um, well, you know, you were talking about the bond thing again. And, um, you know, one of the things I, I keep telling people is that there has never really been a huge number of black detective movies. Mm-hmm. There's all kind of possibilities for one. I, I Yeah, there was a Devil in a Blue Dress. But, you know, Walter Mosley wrote a bunch of novels about Easy Rollins and Mouse. I would love to see those fil- those books be turned into movies. Of course, there's Chester Hines. Uh, yeah, there was Kind of Comes to Harlem, and there was, uh, uh, what's the other one? Come Back Charleston Blue, which was supposedly based on the book The Heat's On, but it has really no relationship to the book at all. Um, there, There is a, uh, you know, what about Virgil Tibbs? You know, yeah, we know him from... Sidney Poitier's role in In the Heat of the Night, but John Ball wrote a series of novels about Virgil Tips. Going all the way to the mid-'80s, you know, who would who, who could play Virgil Tips today? Maybe that could be a part for um, uh, Idris Elba. Or Idris, yeah. Yeah, or who's the other person you mentioned? She would tell Ejiofor. Oh, perfect. Can you imagine him as Virgil Tibbs? That'd be perfect casting. Yeah, he'd be, he'd be um, very a good. perfect casting. My God, there are a bunch of novels about Vir- Virgil Tibbs. The last one takes place in Singapore, um, which is called Singapore. Um, of, of, you know, there an early black uh, mystery novel was called Colary, which was about a black Newark detective by the name of John. Oh, gosh, what's the character's name? Joe Hill. Joe Hill, a black cop in Newark. Uh, it was written uh, by um, Hughes Ellison, who never wrote another detective novel. Um, and then, I don't know if people know about this, but David O'Yellow-O has is supposedly developed a series called The Black 22s for the National Geographic Channel, which is about a group of black cops during the Prohibition in St. Louis. Wow, that seems wholesale interesting. That seems interesting. Right. I mean, there's so many possibilities. So why you want, your, oh, wow, Idris Elba's going to be James, could be James Bond. Who cares about that? That's ridiculous. Let's create our own. Well, sir, that's the thing that really frustrates me because, listen, I love James Bond. I think we, we both do. But what, of course, what, I, I was raised on Bond, so, right. But I think we've been so accustomed to James Bond that the more I actually like, thought about it, the more I started to realize, you know what? I, I, I'm actually kind of thirsty for a black interpretation with, with a black man styling. Like, if you've actually had Idris in there, let's say Idris wakes up. I'm, I'm repeating myself, but whatever. Idris wakes up, uh, you know, Bond wakes up, he's black all of a sudden. And it just, it just continues, and he, he's going to have to do Bond shtick. The, the whole mar- the, the martini, he's going to meet Q. Right. Q's still going to be white, unless there's going to be a black Q, or, or there's going to be a female Q. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. 
But if it's not going, but if it's not going to be a reimagining, and he just he's just 007, or you change the whole thing that 007 is a code name that any agent inherits, which could be interesting, but I really don't want to see that because that's kind of corny. Why would you? There's only one 007, but there's all these agents for MI5, MI6. You got 19 agencies within the or more within British intelligence. Have some right. other guy. Like even um, uh, BS from the West Coast, our our resident attorney, and he had said something to me. He said, uh, he said, well, I re- I even if you saw what I wrote, sir, I had even said, well, give this guy his own car. I'm 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 uh, I have a thing for Corvettes, right? So I said, a split window Corvette. Um, uh, big sexy, big sexy says, well, maybe he should have a Jaguar. And I said, no. I said, this is opinion. I said, because this guy is supposed to be an iconoclast. What, if you're going to have a black bond, then we see an Aston Martin and a Jaguar is basically the same car. Give this right. man, as a, as a British person, an American muscle car. That's yeah. giving him personality. I, wanted, if, I don't want to see a black person in that role and he not be a black person. Give him, some, give him a history. Give him his own ish. Th- that would be fascinating to see and have him interact with James Bond. I'm just saying. Alright. Anywho, anyway, we, we beat that dead horse. Okay. I know. Um, I know. You, you, <laughs> uh, you wanted to talk about Hold the Dark. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's get into that, actually. Um, I saw the trailer for this thing and it's on Netflix to the listening audience. The great Jeffrey Wright is in there. Uh, what's the gentleman uh, uh, that was in that was in uh, True Blood? Skarsgård? Is that guy? I saw, uh, his, I saw uh, his face. Yes, uh, Stefan Skarsgård. Stefan Skarsgård. Right, right. His, his he's got he comes from an acting family. The dad is in Thor. So yeah, right. Uh, his, act, his father is um, the other Skarsgård. Um, gee, I can't right, remember his, his first brother, name now. Right. And his brother is in It, playing the clown. Right. Right, so they're acting family. So anyway, uh, what do you know about this thing? It looks frightening. So um, I'm into uh, it. Yeah, uh, it, it, it premieres in late September. I know it's premiering at the Toronto Film Festival. Uh, the, the interesting is the director. The director is Jeremy, uh, how do you pronounce his last name? Solonier. Solonier. Jeremy Solonier. Um, he, he has an interesting background. Um, he, his first movie was a movie called Blue Ruin, which was sort of like this backwoods, country backwoods revenge movie, came out a couple years ago. I didn't think it was that great. But, uh, about two years ago, he came out with a really terrific movie called, uh, The Green Room. I don't know if any of you saw it, but it's about a group of people who go to a club to see a band and they wind up insulting some people, and it turns out that everybody in this place is basically part of a white supremacist group. So all these, so these, the people find themselves locked in the green room, in the back of this um, club, and people try to get at them and what they use to defend themselves, you know, to survive. And the main villain was Patrick Stewart. He's the leader oh. of this gang. It is it is viciously violent, 
but it's really, really well made and suspenseful and uh, not for the screamish. Um, now, um, this is his new movie. I didn't know about this. I know that Solanir has directed some episodes for the upcoming season of HBO's True Detective, the one where Monsieur, Monsieur Shala Ali is playing the lead. Okay. Um, but the director's background is interesting because he started out as a cameraman for Oprah Winfrey. Um, right. he, he was a cameraman, he's a white guy, but he was a cameraman on many of her shows on the OWN network, you know, like Oprah Winfrey Presents, Oprah Winfrey Interviews, and that's how he started out, and I think when he made his first movie, he still was working as a cameraman for Oprah Winfrey because, you know, he had to keep a day job, but now he's really established a name for himself, and this trailer looks really Fascinating. Uh, matter of fact, I'm surprised it's going to Netflix. This thing should be. It may get. Well, like I said, it's, it's premiering on Netflix on the 28th. But um, this shows you how the business has changed. This looks. This movie looks good enough to me to get a major release, a theatrical release. Well, it says on September 12th it's going to come. It's going to um, premiere at the Toronto Film Festival. Right. And then it Toronto, says, right. and then it, and then it says worldwide on September 28th. But I mean, worldwide, what is that? On I'm Netflix. Assuming, on Netflix. Yeah. It also says something about it will screen uh, at Fantastic Fest, which I guess is an awesome. Uh, I think Fest. that already happened. Fantastic Fest is in, is in, was in Montreal. That was a couple weeks ago. Uh, okay, or, well, it says I'm just going by. No, what no, I'm sorry, I'm says, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That was Fantasia Fest at Toronto, uh, Fantastic Fest. It, right, it's a film it's festival devoted to horror and you know fantasy movies, that sort of thing. I'm sorry, I got the two confused. Right, uh, Fantastic Fest. I don't know when that is yet, but uh, it's got to be sometime next month, I guess. Yeah, so you know, just for the for the audience again, um, you you want to check out the trailer for Hold the Dark. Jeffrey Wright is the main character. Alexander Skarsgård, as we mentioned, uh, I don't know. I guess he's the father of. Uh, it, so it's a missing it's a missing ch- children's story, or I think it's a child that's missing. That might yeah, a child that's missing. You're led to believe that that the child is missing because of a wolf pack. This this is in some. Right. Uh, Antarctic area somewhere, or, or you know, some I don't know, I don't know, some in the wilderness somewhere. Uh, these kind of these are kind of like outdoorsman type community, and you know, it's it's in between it's somewhere it's in between either these animals having done something, and you, and and Jeffrey Wright is a tracker that has to you know, even though it might be a grizzly thing, they got to find out you know ultimately what happened to these kid this kid. Or it might be something else. That it might, might be, be some the, sort of bizarre cult, maybe. Right. Yeah. Something. So I, whatever it is, it, I'm wholesale intrigued by this thing. And usually, Wright really isn't connected to anything. Uh, I mean, this guy played Basquiat years ago. So um, I've always respected. And also, what was it? What was the, uh, the character? I used to have the clip of him. The character that he played. He played of Dominican descent. Um, yeah, and Shaft. And, uh, Shaft and Sh- That's like the only thing good about that movie 
it was. You know, You're absolutely right. He was the only thing good in that picture. You know, Jeffy okay. Wright, you got you got to give the guy credit. You know, he has never fallen for the okie doke. You know, he always tries to look for the roles that will challenge him as an actor or will expand his range. You know, he's never, I, I can't recall, well, he's done TV commercials. I've seen those. He's been doing TV commercials. I was about to say he's never really done anything for a check. But, you know, I'm sure I'm sure those TV commercials paid very, very well. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, you gotta give the, you gotta give the guy credit. You know, he's like, um, um, what's interest him? What, what, whatever you'd never see a black actor doing, that's what he wants to do. (laughs) Yeah, he was Peoples Hernandez. (laughs) Even that name again, Peoples Hernandez. I just think. He was just kind of this quirky character. I mean, I, I, I thought he was great just from that. But I, I really haven't seen him do anything that really wasn't impressive. And, and it, right. isn't he essentially, he's pretty much a regular, a regular in the Bond series also. Well, he's, he that, was only in uh, two movies. Felix? Yeah, he played the character Felix Leiter, who is a CIA agent of, CIA agent friend of Bond. Now, Felix Leiter has been played before by other actors, white actors. Uh, he appears in to you know uh, Live and Let Die. He's in Thunderball. He's in I think from Russia with Love, right? But you know, different white actors have played that role. But he played the role in Casino Royale and then the follow-up uh, Quantum of Solace. Right. So, I mean, they were basically um, essentially small roles, but I'm sure they paid very well. Yeah. So again, he plays. I mean, like you said, Felix Leiter is is uh, is part of Ian Fleming James Bond canon. Right. So um, I don't know what's going to happen for the for the next one. I mean, it seems that it seems so much that uh, that uh, who's the gentleman that plays? Um, why am I forgetting his name? Uh, Daniel Craig. That Daniel Craig is, you know, I, I don't know if that's a, a tactic, but he seems to be so so pained at playing James Bond, and I'm yeah, I'm well, you know, like, basically he was pained enough until they paid him what he wanted. Um, well, that must. Yeah, um, and now Danny Boyle, who I thought was a bad choice anyway, is out. Yeah, he's leaving. And, yeah, I saw that. Um, yeah, he's out. Uh, Q Storm had an interesting choice of Wayne and Ryan Coogler. That'd be interesting. Uh, but I got a feeling it probably may go to Christopher McQuarrie. You don't think Antoine Fuqua could do something? Um, Not that it always has to be a black person, but that's um, not in his, I, in, his, I, in his wheelhouse. Well... Kind of yes and kind of no. Um, I could see more Ryan Coogler than Fuqua um, because I think Coogler can really add a sense of visual style that I don't think Fuqua really has. You know, Fuqua's not a bad director. I mean, he's made some bad movies. I really like the two, you know, Equalizer movies. I liked them very much. Magnificent Seven wasn't so great. Um, hey, that wasn't good at all. That wasn't, yeah, that wasn't so great. 
And I always thought Fuqua would be right to be perfect to direct the Western. Well, evidently I was wrong. So, uh, but I think Coogler will be really interesting choice. But I, I, it's probably going to be Macquarie. That's my guess. That's my guess. It's going to be Macquarie. It's just like, let me see where you, your opinion about this. Uh, and I'd like to hear Daryl's take on this, too. But uh, I have a friend of mine, and we he said that they probably are not going to make a Guardians 3. Mm. I don't know about that. Considering after the whole thing with James Gunn, uh, because my friend said, uh, you're not going to find another director unless they find some hack. They're not going to find another director who wants to take Gunn's place, even though they have Gunn's script and his property of Disney. Uh, number two, um, I don't think the Russo brothers will touch it. I don't think um, – I can never pronounce his name. The guy who did Thor Ragnarok, I can never f- forgot to pronounce his name. Um, he oh, won't Branna? touch it. Branna? Branna? Oh, no, oh, I don't no, even think no, Branna will touch what? it. No, I don't think Branna will no, touch no, it. Uh-uh. I, I don't what think anybody will want to come in in the wake of James Gunn in support unless they find – like I said, a hack. They find somebody, <laughs> Josh Trank. You know, they find somebody. That's not bad. Who comes no, I get that. Uh-uh. After that deal, after after the after the box deal, no, that's not gonna happen. Let me let me bring in Q, let me bring in Q Storm because uh, Daryl had to leave. But I can answer you oh, okay. answer this. I I, I believe that there's going to be a. I, I believe there's going to be a Guardians three. Because uh, maybe perhaps because of contractual reasons, but also because the storyline, there's a whole thing, especially after this merger. You know, we're talking about comic books and we're talking about how this stuff, you know, with the expanded universe, that has to work. There's a whole cosmic line of heroes that come in through the Guardians, especially this third one, if it was if it were to go down. Matter of fact, there's supposed to be an alternate Guardians team that we saw in The Last Guardians with, with um, Sylvester Stallone. So <clears throat> they were really dependent upon James Gunn because James Gunn had the, had the whole schematic for this whole line of heroes, this whole story arc that is very classic to Marvel canon. Uh, they, I don't know how they're going to get around not doing that movie. I think they're going to compromise on that script. I think... I think they're going to uh, do the script and get someone who is adequate to direct it. That's my opinion. If they bring in Waititi, Waititi's eye and comedy are very close. Because when I, when I saw Thor, Thor Ragnarok, it was similar in tone to The Last Guardian, the Guardians film. So I, I don't know if they're going to not do that film. I, I sincerely doubt it. I think it's going to go down. Let me bring in Q-Storm. Q, what are your what are your thoughts about what we've, what we've been discussing, especially what um, Sergio just brought up? Well, uh, I went, I dialed in when you guys were talking about someone directing a Bond movie. Well, not a Bond movie, but a black version of a Bond movie. <clears throat> and sure. you guys did not like my the, the director that I think is underrated. But if it were my money, if I were the executive producer, I would say. Just let me get this out. I would say get F. Gary Gray. Get him in mm-hmm. here. 
Let me sit down and talk to him and say, Gary, Bubby, remember what you did with um, the negotiator? I want you to do that with our Bond film. Because I don't care what any of y'all say, that movie was excellently directed. It was tense. It was taut. It was suspenseful. It kept you guessing all the way through. And he pulled out some amazing performances from Samuel L. Jackson and that other guy who shall not be named anymore. So that would be <laughs> oh yeah. I, I would take a I would take a look at him and for Guardians Three if there is one. Since you guys are talking about Taika Waititi, you know I, I I assume we should be talking about a director who's not already on another franchise. But Taika Waititi is good at directing humor, but I think he went overboard with the humor. And I don't think he understands. I really, I don't care what anyone says. Well, you know, it's, it's 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 supposed to be funny. It was light because Thor was always so heavy and boring. That may be true. I don't think Taika understood the characters. I don't think he had a grasp on the characters at all, particularly Thor. So my choice would be, if we're talking about directors who've already directed a Marvel property, I thought what Peyton Reed did with the first Ant-Man was amazing. The right, the right blend of humor and uh, suspense. You you combine what he did with uh, Michael Pena, who was a little bit of a minstrel, but still funny. You combine what he did with Paul Rudd's character uh, with the last half of that last half of that film, where he's fighting, uh, squaring off with uh, Yellow Jacket. To me, yeah, I would go with Peyton Reed. Well, I tell you something. That's a pretty good choice. That's a pretty good choice because what I'm thinking is this: um, the, the, the fans are already against Guardians Three because Gunn is not involved. The hardcore fans, the regular people, don't care, but the hardcore fans are already against it, right? They're ready to. They got the knives out to cut this film to pieces, so. Marvel will have to hire a director who the fans will say, you know what, that's not bad choice to direct the film. Okay, that's why I say what 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 I can never pronounce that guy's name. What T or Peyton Reed, it's not a bad choice. People like the Ant Man movies. He did a good job with those movies and don't forget, you know, he took over from what's the guy's name? Edgar Wright, you know, because well, Edgar Wright was supposed to, to do. Right, Edgar Wright. Would Edgar Wright do Guardians 3? Would he take it from Gunn? That's another interesting choice. That's an interesting choice. That's an interesting choice. They have, a, they have a lot of interesting choices, but they're going to have to find the right person that the fans will say, oh, okay, I can live with that. I got two other names for you. Okay, go ahead. Uh, this one, now, I think the last film he did was a flop, if I'm not mistaken, or didn't get off the ground. But based on, uh, let me just let me just get out the two names first, okay? Based on District 9, I'm looking at Neil Blomkamp. And I can't remember the guy, Gareth Edwards. Is that the guy who did Rogue One? Because the last Oh, the Godzilla. Last Ga- no, Ga- Gareth Edwards did Godzilla. Yeah, he did Rogue One, too. Right, he did. He did, right. The last half of that film, fire. Absolute fire. When they uh, when they get to Scarifile, the island 
the uh, the Empire Island and all of that, the the war scenes. He, the guy knows how to direct an action sequence. So I, I'm gonna throw those two names out too. Well, well yeah. take that with a grain of salt because a, a, a good chunk of that movie was reshot by Tony Gilroy. Well, um, I'll say this much. I, I'll say this much. I think that because Edgar Wright was so beloved, you know, when the first Ant-Man film was, was being discussed and then there was some, you know, cre- creative differences in quotes where he had to leave uh-huh. it. And and then he leaves it, and, and it's not like he leaves and, and he he, he's, uh, he goes into oblivion. He comes back with Baby Driver, which was extremely successful. So it's not like it's the most he successful film he ever made. So so you know we see he has comedic chops that to, if they were able to kind of smooth things over, bring him back to Marvel, uh, keep the script that James that James Gunn was involved in, that might be enough because. You know, he didn't really get his shot the first time with Marvel. Let's see what he can do for Guardians with James Gunn, in a way. I think that might be, you know. And also, you know, when uh, I mentioned this a few shows ago, when Grace Randolph, you know, the, the young woman that has her own YouTube channel, Beyond the Trailer, you know, she was mentioning a few names. Of course, she mentioned um, Watiti because she saw, like, the visual. Like, what we discussed, like, you know, it's like more, more of a transition kind of thing. But she also threw out there Boots Riley, and I was like, now, now he's been talking ish, and I think even recently uh, the gentleman um, Ron Stallworth has actually responded to 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 the to, to the criticism and basically called him kind of a, a crazy person. I mean, he just called him kind of crazy. You know, he said, "You're my brother. You know, you're kind of lost." But I I, I, I wasn't even. I was kind of like curious about that. Just, just no, that's not going to work. He... That's that's not going to work. That's absolutely not going to work. Boots Ray is not going to work. Wait a minute. Uh, he's too a kind of classic. No, what I'm thinking is, is that Marvel has gotten these guys that are kind of on the cheap. They're not, a, they're, not, they're not scared of kind of getting young directors that have, some, that have a little bit of uh, – a, l- a little bit of, of uh, notoriety, like that up-and-coming hot director thing. Marvel's good for that, too, you know. Like Ava, they yeah, but it's still... Ava, Duver- Ava DuVernay w- was a hairpin away from Black Panther. So if they were, and thankfully that didn't work. But if they were no, to no, 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 that, that wasn't true. Uh-uh. She, was, she never had a shot of directing that movie. I don't know what people think she was going to direct the movie. That, well, that was, that well, was they, never, they, there was never any doubt she was not going to direct that film. That was just yeah, a publicity they, they, thing. Yeah, but they they did speak to her. All I'm saying is that they speak right to everybody. Had, well, oh, hold on, search. But I'm, what I'm saying is uh, they did more than they already had it locked and loaded with Edgar Wright. So the only issue was that I think he had a certain yeah. there was there was some kind of conflict I think with their machine. They already have kind of a a certain way. They have a Marvel way, and I think they were, yeah. there was a conflict with him with him wanting to do it his you know his way versus their way. But if they brought the guy back because the comp- the nerds are aware of Edgar Wright, I think that might be a- a- okay. But I'm I still think I don't know what happened because of this this kind of rift that he's caused uh, uh, regarding Boots Riley. But it's not beyond the pale that they wouldn't call Boots Riley in. You you never know. They call everybody saying, in. They call everybody in. 
They call everybody in to talk to them. They call everybody in. I'm sure they probably talked to Boots Riley already, but Boots Riley's not going to do. You just said it yourself. Marvel is a machine. They like their films a certain way. He's too iconoclastic. He's not going to do a Marvel movie, you know. That's the way it is. I mean, I can guarantee you, even to say they hired him, I guarantee you'd be fired before shooting began because they would clash. It's not going to work. Edgar Wright, to me, is an interesting choice. This is a nice way to make up for him, to make up with him. And Edgar Wright has that devoted fan base that they will go along with him if he does the um, – um, Gosh, I just remember the name damn movies now. The, the the Guardian movies, you know, it'll be pretty interesting. Um, they have a lot of possibilities. They got a lot of interesting choices. And and by the way, isn't F. Gary Gray going to direct a comic book movie? A couple months ago, he was I, announced he was going to do something. Well, I know Spike Lee's name even came up for a Marvel Sony movie. Is it the same thing, uh, Q? I think he is correct on that. Uh, I, I don't recall. Oh, uh, I'll look it up. Yeah, wait a minute. Not that you say that. There was a, isn't there a character? There was a character we were talking about that was a ripoff of Spawn, right? The, I can't recall problem. what it is. It oh, was the, a couple oh, months night, ago. Oh, oh, the night, uh, night something. I, I, I look. It I up don't remember F. Gary Gray's name being attached to anything recently. Because I would have been excited I know, about. I know. It. No, no, I, I can I look it up. I know his name was recently attached to a comic book movie, and I cannot remember what it was. Um, okay. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Okay, okay, wait a minute. Mask? What is Mask? Mobile Armored Strike Command? I don't know about that. But I know Spike Lee is connected to this Nightwatch movie. Nightwatch is the character that's very reminiscent of Spawn. So Spike Lee, it, it, it just says Spike Lee, Sony, Marvel, Nightwatch. Uh, F. Gary Gray. Well, F. Gary Gray, didn't he already, wasn't he with, uh, didn't he do um, Fantastic Four? F. Gary Gray? No, no, no. no. You're, you're thinking no. of um, Tim, Tim Story. Uh, yeah, okay. You're right. You're right. Uh, and let me just say, I'm F. Gary Gray is a far superior director to Tim Story. Oh, I agree with you. Absolutely. You know, and I know you don't like it, but I think that Straight Outta Compton was amazing. Amazing. I didn't see it. I didn't see it, but, you know. Well, actually, it says F. Gary Gray. (laughs) It it says that F. Gary Gray was offered Captain America. So there's something about him trading Captain America, trading Captain America for Straight Outta Compton. So he was offered a Marvel movie, but his, his name huh. was out there. Well, I do you see, know, I do, hey. see what, I do see what you say here. Uh, the acronym Mask M A S K. Yeah, that's something that he's a Mask movie that was a few months ago. So uh, wait, wait. through Paramount. Yeah, because I know he's he's supposed to be if the if the I think the shooting right now that Men in Black spinoff he's atta- he's doing. But can I ask a question? Who well, was it that did uh, the Tupac film? I'm getting confused now. Who was that guy? Anyone know off the top of their head? Tupac movie. 
and 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 look at the you know uh, films that Fox had made, historical movies that Fox had made, like Sound of Music, Patton, um, all these pictures. And the other thing too is that. I'm not so hyped up because now you're going to see more comic book movies because of this merger. I want to see all kinds of movies. I agree with that. Uh, that part is, I agree with. Hugh, <laughs> what are your what are your thoughts about that? I disagree slightly. Slightly. I don't think I don't. Think I don't know what, as bad as I think. I don't know you? what there is to disagree about. Hello. I, I don't know what there is to disagree. Okay, I don't know what there is to disagree about what was just said. I think uh, I don't always see eye to eye to Sergio with Sergio, but I think right there he was right on the head. Uh, I think Cap and I have fallen into agreement with um, you know it's kind of short sighted and short game to be saying oh we can get a. Um, you know, we can we can merge these two characters. We can get these characters back into Marvel now. Yeah, right. But, you know, the whole thing. I don't care. I don't care. The whole thing about the whole thing about monopolies and conglomerations and consolidation of power. I, I, I'll, I'll sacrifice, as an example, Fantastic Four ever meeting Black Panther, as long as it means free markets are unencumbered. And, you know, and to what Sergio just said, I don't know how you, how you can, how anyone can be so short-sighted as to not see the bigger picture. Eventually, we suffer. Well, eventually. <laughs> Continue after. Well, I think that. Well, I think there's an immediate gratification thing going on there. Let's, and I'll be very candid. There's a little bit of selfishness if you look strictly as a comic book fan and dealing with the House of Marvel. I mean, Sergio's just kind of new to this world, but all of these characters have historically interacted with each other. Daredevil Daredevil is supposed to know who Peter Parker is or relates to him. Uh, Peter Parker has a special friendship with the Human Torch. They're like boys. Uh, there's a lot of things that we're expect that for those who've been reading these comic books for decades, there's a certain kind of interpersonal connection, relations, rivalries, all kinds of shenanigans going on with these characters. So for uh, uh, Fox to have had, I mean, talking about just comic books, for Fox to have had these characters, they did them no service to me. I mean, they, in my opinion, there was maybe a couple of movies that were that were uh, above board. Obviously. Wolverine was was excellent. Um, or pardon me. Uh, old what is it? What was the name of that movie? No, was it Wolverine? The one. Uh, old Man Logan. Logan. Yeah, Logan was an yes. excellent film. But they, but there was just a few films here and there. I mean, some of the people that are so pro Fox about how those X Men films were. You really had X Men first first class, and there were things that were in that movie that were very problematic when it came to minority characters. Uh, Eddie Kasigi. Uh, and also oh, Edie Kathigi, I think it's Eddie Kathigi, and um, and uh, what's her face, Lenny Kravitz's uh, daughter, uh, Zoe Kravitz. Uh, you know, you could. They, they, I didn't. The movie was so so, but uh, Logan was excellent. I think Logan was was Oscar worthy. To be honest with you, but everything else, everyone's crying about how uh, Fox didn't. You know, Fox. They were going to miss the Fox. Fox did. There was no. I'm glad Fox got rid of. Uh, of uh, X-Men. So for purely superhero stuff, yeah, 
it's selfishness. Now, as far as everything else, uh, perhaps the curation of the Fox catalog might be better served under Disney long loot. You know, Disney is squarely wants that content, especially when it comes down to the streaming service. So uh, if we see all that stuff end up on Hulu, they, they squarely wanted that catalog. I would find it hard to believe that they wouldn't do what they would need to do to restore some of that stuff that's with, uh, that was formerly with Fox. Is it the, dis- the dissolution, dismantling of a famed movie house? Yeah, that's a problem. You know, we might be feeling it later on. I'm being honest. For the immediacy of the comic book stuff, yeah, I- I'm cool with that. Everything else, and the fact that I think um, Disney will probably have more than 60% of the films that, the- that North America will see, that's a monopoly. That's a little, that's, you know, everything is going to be directly or indirectly coming out from, the- from Disney now. 60% or more. That's kind of crazy. Kind of crazy, yeah. I admit, I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a, a, a finite amount of time as I uh, with being high on Marvel, Fantastic Four, uh, uh, a, a Doctor Doom, a, 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 an appropriate Doctor Doom, all that stuff. I'm gonna be high off of that. I'm gonna, admittedly, after all that smoke clears, then you know we might see it's gonna be some effery afoot. I I admit. Yeah, but- yeah, but but the thing about it is that back you remember back in the eighties and the nineteen nineties, Walt Disney had there was Walt Disney and there was Hollywood Pictures and there was Touchstone and they were making all these different movies for all these different really? audiences. They had movies yeah. for the family. They had animated movies like you know they had adult films. Disney now is just comic book family movies. That's it. There's no well, diversity there. Gotta, and if they're going to take over 60% of the market, that's not good. What happened to United Artists? Remember that? Or was that United uh, Artists Pickford? went out of business. Well, I know, but I'm saying, I'm just mentioning, but was that uh, Mary Pickford and Fairbanks? That was, I mean, going back to early Hollywood, isn't that what United Artists represented? Uh, yeah. And, and what happened was uh, that, um, oh, right, they ran out of business in the early 80s particularly after Heaven's Gate. They went out of business. And then um, those movies that they made um, were then bought by the MGM, and now MGM has gone, basically gone out of business. So, you know, it just goes, it goes around in circles. And I, I, hate to, I hate to bring this up, and I know I sound like an old guy, get off my lawn, but I was watching this movie last week. It was shot in the 1970s. And 74, it came out. And I was watching the film. I listened to the commentary. And at one point, the guy says, and I guess you had to be there, like me. He says, you're never going to see the likes of the film industry, the likes of which it was in the 1970s, which I think is the greatest decade of film filmmaking ever. Because you had such an extraordinary diversity of movies. You had Star Wars. You had Jaws, you had The Exorcist, you had Superman, but you also had movies such as Blue Collar, or Taxi Driver, or uh, The Godfather. Norma Ray. Norma Ray. Yeah, Norma Ray. Or you had the Blaxploitation movies. And you had so many 
types of movies for so many different audiences that, you know, there was something for everyone. And you can't say that today. Well, look, there's a counter to that, though. Uh, I meant to bring this up, actually, because I'm always coming up with all these topics, and sometimes we don't have – we've got, we've got 30, 15 minutes remaining now. Uh, London is already uh, testing out these uh, three-dimensional theaters. But they're always trying out new technology to keep people out from the Netflix thing. The Netflix and chill thing is a thing. It scares movie theater owners. So I will confess, looking at this three-dimensional screen thing, uh, where you you know the you, you see screens a screen in front of you, and screens on the side of you, where it gives you more of a real, it's called like immersive theater, this immersive theater thing. But they're trying all these, all these gimmicks, to keep people in theaters because you have all these different streaming services. So I guess what I'm saying is I hear you, but aren't we in the another renaissance? I mean we 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 can look. Finally, about uh, 70s films and 70s TV. You know, 70s, 70s TV was specific with, with Norman Lear. You know, listen, Norman Lear's back again. Norman Lear's 96 years old. Very lucid, very hip. He's, back, he's going back to rebooting all his, his old catalog now. We might see Jefferson's 2.0, believe it or not, and more 2.0. That, that's supposed to be going down. What that's going to look like, I can only imagine. I'm almost scared. But what I, I guess what I'm saying is this is, all the, the mergers and these gimmicks are all a result of people having choices and people being a little uh, – it's getting harder to keep people in theaters when the theater is expensive. Going to a movie theater might as well be a Broadway theater as far as how expensive it is for a family. So, I mean, when you're saying you want to see all this, all this diversity – we got a Madam C.J. Walker film coming. Uh, well, series on Netflix. I mean, th- this is really more about how we see the films and where we see the films, less about that we're not seeing the films. Well, I would tell you, you two things. But, First of all, the whole immersive thing you talked about, I read about that, that's old. Mm-hmm. They were experimenting that in the late 60s. I'm not joking. Okay. Uh, so that's not new. Number two is that I really don't know what the future of cinema is going to be. Um, everybody, when, when television came out or became, well, let me rephrase that. When television became affordable to the public, like in the late 40s and early 50s, everybody was saying it's the death of movies, which is why you start seeing, like, at that time, 3D movies and more films in color and CinemaScope and Cinerama and all that stuff. Um and the the film industry took a huge dive in the early 70s. Nobody was going to movies in the early 70s. No one, right? So it's going through a renaissance. I think film will still be around. In what form, I don't know. What I will say is this. I think network television is dead. <laughs> network television, forget it. I can't recall the last time... I saw a ser- a show on network television. I really can't. Maybe 24, that last season with Corey, Corey Hawkins. I really can't recall because everything I want to see now is either on cable or it's, you know, streaming, you know, because network television 
just can't compete anymore. I don't think yeah, it's well, going to be well, around if within the next 10 years, network television. Well, well, I don't think anybody can have and smart. You can see them, and you can see them going towards that also. No. Network, network TV will be around because you always have your sporting events and you have your news channels. So network well, it's going to be that, you know, it'll maybe. Be diminished diminished, diminished uh, expenditures on shows, but they'll be around. But I wanted to address Debert saying that um, are we in a renaissance? That might be true, but that, that's all the more reason for you not to want any of these uh, mergers because after a while, it's going to be He's Disney and <laughs> it's going to be Disney and whoever else is left standing. And you know what product they're going to put out? It's going to be a monolithic product. So you're not going to have, oh, oh, you know, you're not going to have oh, oh, uh, black uh, cinema let me, let me, anymore. Let me say something. Let me say something. Yeah, you have to understand something. The show is called Afro So he's a geek first. And I think he explained that. You know, I, th- I think he explained that. You know, totally selfish. He wants to see his comic book stuff. Then you worry about everything else later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but look, but look, but look I'm, I'm also I'm look I, I look I, I consider myself I consider myself a cine, cineast, maybe not in Sergio's league, but I do like all kinds of movies. I I like M, the movie the silent silent film M. Uh, I, I I like cinema, believe it or not. But uh, I'm also a realist in the sense that when you say these films are go- these films are going away or you know, if, we, if we're so caught up in big budget stuff that that means everything goes to the wayside, I'm not so sure about that because, look, Kenya Barris got, what, $100 million from Netflix recently? Like, now we're, here, we're, seeing, we're seeing black folks being able to garner deals for a streaming service. I think we have to be – I think we got to kind of get off – I think all of us are suffering a little, bit of, a little bit of the old man get off our lawn syndrome. If you are getting $100 million deals for – a damn PC smartphone, which is what this stuff is being seen. That means the, that means the way we see movies has changed, and we're we're not we're not registering sure. with it now. I bet you I bet you Monique was really happy when she read that news. Oh, you don't. But what I'm but saying is, there's a whole bunch of hold on. There's a whole bunch of people that we're hearing. Well, not a whole bunch, but we're hearing people getting some pretty pretty respectable deals. From streaming services, Amazon's giving money, Netflix is giving money, uh, Hulu's coming around, Disney, CBS All Access. We see um, uh, Jordan Peele coming from the movies, and then again, Blumhouse is a small operation. Blumhouse connects with Spike Lee, connects with Jordan Peele, and they come together for Black Klansman. I think we're going to have to think outside the box, based on how people are actually looking at films. I think I think we're not. I don't think we're really registering with that yet. And you might need. I mean, look, they got that. What's that whole? That whole. You, you talk about how things have always existed, um, Sergio. When the Blob was out with Steve McQueen, what 1958, 59. That's when you had all yeah. the uh, seat uh, shaking and smellovision. Smellovision seven uh-huh. years old. Now they spray spritzing people. If you if there's a scene where someone's going through a rainstorm, they will spray you with water now in some of these theaters. So they're going back old school. They keep your asses in there. They're doing all kinds of tricks now. You? That, but I know. But I think you're proving my point. That just that just smacks of desperation. No one's gonna 
I mean, Gallagher is gone. I don't want to be going to a movie thing. <laughs> but what I'm saying is Gallagher. you're conflating things, wow. you're kind of conflating things now. Um, you're talking about deals being made from streaming services. That's great, but that's not cinema. Cinema is more than just uh, how it's that's a projection. True. It's an experience. Going to see something in an shot anamorphically. Going to see something that was shot two, three, five to uh, uh, two, three, five to one. Yeah, two, three, five to one. That that's an experience that cannot be. I mean, these Netflix movies and everything. Of course, they're wonderful. The TV's going through windows, but we're, I thought we were talking about cinema. We are, look. I I'm the guy that's excited about going to Alamo Draft House because of the experience. So, yeah, I hear you, uh, Q, Q. We're on the same team. The issue, though, is the millennials could care too. They, listen, they don't care about their, the way they listen to music. They don't care about that sensory kind of stuff necessarily. That might be killing killing it. Uh, I think the only the only saving grace, though, is I think there's going to be a myriad of ways to see film, which might be a good thing. The fact that Netflix is is so big, and they want that they want that uh, that gravitas that cachet. Even they are exploring some kind of cinema change. They went to Mark Cuban and it didn't work out initially, but they're, they're trying to. They're still talking about like a Netflix way to look at a film. And actually, I kind of dig that. If they're able to, if they could, some kind of a small small theater chain that allows you to see Netflix exclusive content, where I could I could go and look at Luke Cage in a big screen on a big screen. Yeah, I go for that. You damn straight. I go for that. I think it's going to be very personalized. That might be interesting. I don't think. I don't think. I think it's going to be a, a kind of a kind of a, a free for all with some of this stuff. I think they're still kind of figuring it out. Whatever it takes, I think. I well, think we let me say this before, before years, we end. which will be 2023, right? And then another five years, we'll see where we are. <laughs> Go ahead, Sergio. Well, okay. Well, I, I listened to the last show, and I think you brought up the I, you brought up the question about is there a black renaissance? I'm sorry, is this a renaissance in black cinema? I said this before. I think there is. Uh, I talked about that before, and I, I you know you mentioned Jordan Peele. Who uh, this is? The, okay, look at Jordan Peele and what he's done. I mean, the success yeah. of this movie, Get Out. Which was mainly due to timing. Believe me, if if Hillary Clinton had been president, or the film had come out when Obama was still president, that film would never have done the kind of money that it did. But he's used that success to create his own company, Monkey Paw, Monkey Paw. and they're doing yeah, they're doing the um, you know Lovecraft County, a country, and he's going to do Twilight Zone. And but his vision is different, and you compare him with someone like John Singleton, who 25 years ago was that one of the yeah. hottest guys in town, but he had no vision. But, but John Singleton has a deal, though, doesn't he? I think uh, what is that? The, the snow, snow something? Yeah, but for FX, Captain, but, it, but no, but what's it's ghetto stuff. That's not you that know, bad, actually. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but I know still, it's, it's like it's. Yeah, but it's drugs in the ghetto kind of thing, right? Well, hold, he never expected. Wait, wait, hold on, um, Q, um, Captain, you've seen this, right? I, I, 
I saw a little bit of it. It's kind of like um, Scorsese nineteen eighty drug stuff. Like it, it's more about how drugs came into the black community versus yeah. like stereotyping person. Mhm. What is this called? It's called what's it called? Snowfall. Uh, Cap- Snowfall FX. I saw yeah. the first couple of episodes. The 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 acting mm-hmm. is pretty on point. I mean, it's not it's not exactly some kind of you know. There's a couple of things. What is it with the Deuce? It's basically the Deuce, but ten years later. The Deuce is seven. Is uh, no, I wouldn't concur with the Deuce. The Deuce is different. The Deuce is about who others. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. No, the, the Deuce can be perceived as just. The Deuce is is black men as pimps uh, with white women as as uh, hoes. I mean, what you, it's, come on. <laughs> I yeah, mean, but, you, but it's, it's got that the gritty reality. Thing, you see, stuff. but the thing I want to say, and the problem is, <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I, but what I'm saying, it's still the same. It's an extension. Like in 1975, on the Deuce in the in in the the series, you see, uh, you know, Black Thought. Normally, Black Thought's excellent in this, by the way. Black Thought is a pet, yada, you know, approaching young white women who are runaways, that's one aspect of it, 75. Mm-hmm. Ten years later, in Compton, you got the porn industry with those same white women there, you know, the daughters now walking around being pimped out, snorting coke. How, I mean, it, it is the reality. It's not, you know, I looked at a little bit of it, it, was, it wasn't quite like some kind of, you know, absolute coon fest, which I would detest. It's, it's heavy-duty acting, it's showing kind of the historical development of the drug trade and the pimp trade in New York on the East Coast in 75 and on the West Coast in 85. I thought that was pretty interesting. Okay, but you you made your point. See, but there's the point, right? You know, compared to network television, I mean, uh, HBO and FX, they got shows like Snowfall and The Deuce uh, and True Detective, which, like I said, I can't wait to see with Michelle Salah Ali. Um, what does CBS have coming out this fall? The neighborhood. What's the premise? A sitcom about a white guy who moves into a black neighborhood. And I'm like, really, in this day and age? That's that's the best you've that? got? That's, that's on CBS? Yeah, that's a, a, with Severed the Entertainer. That's their new, one of the sitcoms they got premiering in the fall. Yeah, that's you know, a... It's going to be what, really what? lame with a lot of really lame jokes, and I go like, you know, "This is I, why I, network television is dying." I think that was out before. It was called uh, what was it? It was called uh, the, the White D- Shadow. The D.L. Hughley Show. <laughs> it was called the White. Well, I thought Shadow. you were going to say the D.L. Hughley Show. No, no. We, said, we said it was a white guy, a white guy moving in a black neighborhood. You said right? Yes, yeah, a white guy moved to a black neighborhood. Right. That's the that's the White Shadow. White Shadow. <laughs> and you, you know what? You know what's <laughs> good about that? That was a good show, then. Basketball players sucked, though, but it was a good show. <laughs> what, 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 show what are you going to say? It's unfortunate that, because um, I was a fan of the new girl, new girl, and the, the guy, yeah, the, and the white guy, Max Greenfield, he was from that show, and that's the best he could get. That, that's that's pretty sad. Uh, the only time I, I mean, I mean CBS was, is now coming up with a new Magnum P.I. Come on, really? Okay. On, on that note, that's it. Okay. Twenty four seconds. You said that's the last note right there, uh, Sergio. That was good. Though. It looked good. It looked good. Uh, have, All right. No, Tom Selleck is said no. Uh, gentlemen, Sunday uh, maybe. I don't know. It's Afropunk. Uh, Soho, hot music. 
We'll see you when you see us. Afronerd.com. Check it out. <laughs> Patreon, folks. <laughs>